Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the fifth chapter of the letter to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, if you are using the Bibles there in the chairs, it's on page 815, this passage at the very bottom as we're coming to the end of that section. We've been working our way through the book of Ephesians and considering the church and viewing the church through spiritual eyes, that we would understand God's perspective on the local church. Shortly after my wife and I were married, we led a ministry team that spent 12 weeks traveling in the Northeast. We did this during the summer months. We would usually hold seven services a week in various churches, Tuesday through Saturday evening, and then two different churches on Sunday. And so our schedule was quite full. And we, spent a, a, we had a few meetings that were scheduled in New York City. And I remember one night after the service, the pastor and his wife and my wife and I were, were traveling. We were in the university van that we were given for our, our group. And I was driving and we were going down the narrow one-way streets in New York with cars par- double parked on both sides. It, was, it seemed like I only had inches on both sides of the mirrors. And... There were vehicles there. I I really didn't even bother checking the mirrors because it didn't matter who was behind me. I couldn't go anywhere. And I was afraid that if I looked at a mirror, I may slightly pull to that side, and I wasn't sure that I had the, the room to do that. I had no idea where we were going. The, the pastor had to give me directions, and he is just chatting nonchalantly as we're driving, and I am gripping the steering wheel, trying to look much calmer than I felt. And he's chatting away, and I'm grabbing the steering wheel. I was afraid that even if I hit a bump or a pothole, I would get shoved to one side and end up sideswiping one of these parked cars. And, and so as we're going around, along, I am, I am not relaxed. And if that wasn't bad enough, my wife and his wife are sitting right behind me on the bench sheet, sheet, seat, and as I'm passing these cars, I'm hearing, <gasps> from both of them. They're doing it as a duet, <laughs> gasping at how close this is. Now, while I was the person that actually was working the gas pedal and holding the steering wheel, I did not feel like I was the person in control that day. I was not the one who knew where we were going. I couldn't make those decisions. I had no idea where these streets would lead in this borough. And and frankly, what was controlling me was a, a level of anxiety. I wonder how often our Christian life is like my driving through the streets of New York City. We're not really sure where we're headed, and our current circumstances bring a level of fear and anxiety into our life. So how do you get the power to remain calm when you feel like gasping for breath? You know, just before his crucifixion, Jesus said, he encouraged his disciples saying, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
Yet for many Christians, the, their walk is not characterized by peace. It's probably much more characterized by that walk of fear. As we have been considering Ephesians, we actually come to the section that tells us the power that we have for our walk. We have looked at this, and really the section we are in in Ephesians is the most comprehensive passage in the New Testament that discusses the Christian's walk. And when we speak of the walk we've mentioned, we're referring to how we live. It provides comprehensive instruction within a clear context of what God is doing in the church for his glory, and he's doing it through Christ Jesus. So that's why we mentioned we're viewing the church through spiritual eyes. And and one of the things that we realize is it's not about us individually, but it's about him and then us together as we would seek to serve him. So it's not about me, it's not about you, it's about him. And how can we bring glory to the Lord? This section of Ephesians provides instruction for our walk, how we live as Christians in a sinful world, and and then what determines or controls our decision-making process or how we drive and where we turn. As we considered last week, really the roadmap for our life, and I, I gave you an overview of the book, and I just want to keep this before us because we're spending time here in what it would have taken the church at Ephesus to probably less than a half hour to read the entire letter. But what we see is there's really a a course that is being laid out. The explanation that comes on the work of God is in, in the church by Jesus Christ is the first three chapters. Then the application of how we're to work walk begins in chapter 4 and goes through chapter 6 verse 9 and then finally the the preparation or maybe the advancement of the believer in warfare picks up in chapter 6 verse 10 through the end of the 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 book and that gives you the the quick overview where we have been though is in that middle section the application of the believer's walk and there's several things that we have seen concerning our walk it begins with the walk within the church as that is really to be a walk of spiritual unity we walk in the spirit so the walk within the church is determined that we would keep unity that's chapter 4 verses 1 through 16 then it's how we walk in the world that we're to walk differently than the unsaved we're to walk in holiness And we saw that. And then it leads into chapter 5 that that walk in holiness is a walk in love and a walk in light. And last week we looked at the practical aspect that we're to walk in wisdom. That this is the aspect of where we are. And that really is going to go on and, and develop through the rest of this. So the walk in wisdom. Today I want us to consider we walk in the spirit. This is where the power comes from. And what is taking place is the passage is going from the general to the specific. So we're going from the general truths of how this, a believer should look in their walk to where the, the sandal meets the, the road for Paul. The rubber meets the road for us. Because he's going to apply it to marriage, to parenting, to the workplace, to where we live day in and day out. So we've moved from the general to the specific, and I want you to see the flow of this for a purpose. One one reason I preach expositorily is so that you can see the development within the text and you can examine what I preach in light of the Word of God, that you have that responsibility. It's also to help you in studying your Bible, that you don't have to have a Bible college degree to look for words that are repeated, like walk, as we have seen that over and over in this, this letter. 
and to see how it develops. Now, now, taking classes may help give you more tools for your toolbox, but you're to be a student of the Word and diligently apply, and I'm trying to help you see that. And then also to recognize the development within God's Word that, that as the Holy Spirit guided Paul as that human instrument, the Holy Spirit wasn't just brainstorming. He wasn't just throwing ideas on a a whiteboard to say, hey, what about this, what about that? I do that at times. I actually have a mind mapping program on my iPad that I can just take a thought and then I put ideas and, and try to get those. That's not what's happening here. There's a very purposeful development that is taking place. And and the reason for this is it's to lead us to know the mind of Christ. We need to know the mind of Christ so that we can experience the peace of Christ and know how to walk wisely in a wicked world. The walk of wisdom has to be under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And and while we may be gripping the steering wheel, are we really listening to the Spirit to direct where we turn? So what determines your actual direction. That's what we find in this passage. If you have your Bibles open to Ephesians 5, follow with me. I'm going to begin in verse 15 so that we can get the immediate context of this passage. Ephesians 5, 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Let's look to the Lord. Father, as we come to this passage, We pray that you would open our eyes, that we would behold things out of your law, that we would be a people who walk in wisdom, redeeming the seasons that you give us, that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. What I want us to consider this morning is that the Christian's walk of wisdom must be empowered by being internally controlled by the Holy Spirit, and that will then be evidenced externally in our action and attitude. That's how we see this developing. Now, we considered last week the importance of walking wisely. Do you walk wisely? Well, what does a wise walk look like? It's a walk that buys back the seasons, the opportunities of time. And we considered this, that that there are windows of opportunity and we need to grab those. Well, where do we buy time from? We consider that we buy it back from sinful, foolish, and frivolous pursuits. That the walk that recognizes the fleeting nature of our cultural pursuits is that we then focus on we need to invest for eternity. If you only live for the, the temporal, you are not walking wisely. Now, I, I, I said only because we all have to live for temporal things. We have to get gas in the car. We have to fix things that break. There, there are things we have to do that we know are not going to last. But if that is our focus then we're not walking wisely. And understanding the word of God and the souls of people are the only two things leaving this world. So how you spend your time is how you invest your life. And there are windows, seasons, that when they pass, they will not come again. So we redeem those seasons. When we lived in Maine, uh, tourist season was a big enterprise. And we lived right on the coast, and there were a number of of businesses. They were only open for certain months. 
Many restaurants shut down completely when the, the, into the fall and then the winter months. And we had a lady in our church that lived right on the ocean and she had a, a rental property right there that was uh, just behind her house. And she told me, she said, if we have guest speakers, if you have evangelists that come or missionaries that need a place to stay, they are welcome to stay here except during the summer. She said, because that's how I make my income. That was her, her husband had passed away and left that and that was her income by renting that place out as a summer rental. And I still remember it was Jerry Savinsky who talked about how wonderful it was for him to stay there and, and have seven miles of sandy beach where he could jog. And, and since it wasn't tourist season, there were no people around. But she had to gain that window. That season was necessary. Well, we have seasons for ministry. Do we seize the seasons is what it's saying. The walk of wisdom means that we see what God is doing on earth through his church and we seize those seasons for his glory. Well, why is this so important? Because verse 16 tells us the days are evil. We live in an evil day. And if you watch the news, if you just look at the headlines, you can't miss that. I mean, story after story of just the wickedness of our culture. The assault on morality, the, the disregard for human life. And I won't take time to expand on that, but it, it, we don't have to look very far. But what we understand then is proper thinking is going to lead to proper living. That's why we have to walk wisely, circumspectly, alertly, not oblivious. That we realize what's going on around us. We sometimes talk about having street smarts, that you're aware of your surroundings, we have to do that in an evil day. The unwise do not know the will of God. Discerning God's will is especially important because we're coming to the relationships of life. But it isn't enough to have head knowledge. To know the route or the word, we have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit has to direct us. And that's where we see us, this passage moving to the specifics. So the first thing that we see is that the filling of the Spirit is illustrated by what controls you. This is what Paul is laying out in verse 18. Now, I, I want to help us understand what's get going on here. Throughout this entire section, beginning back in chapter 4, the Holy Spirit is directing Paul to contrast the negative aspects of the, the walk and the positive aspects. The negative aspects of what the world does, how they walk, and how Christians are to walk. And so in chapter 4, we saw the put off, put on, the renewing of the mind. And so you see this in the context. Chapter 4, verse 22, do not walk in the lust of the flesh. Put off concerning your former conduct, which was according to the, it's corrupt in its deceitful lusts. Instead, walk in righteousness and holiness. Put away lying. Let everyone speak truth. Don't steal, but work to share with those in need. Do not allow corrupt communication, corrupt words to come out of your mouth, but speak that which is good to build up for the use of edifying and that there is grace in those words. And we see this. Then it goes into chapter 5. Do not participate in the immoral conduct or conversation because that's not becoming of somebody who belongs to Christ. Live like one who belongs to God. In chapter 5, beginning in verse 7, down through verse 14, do not participate in the works of disobedience. Walk as a child of light, not just in the light, but as a child of the light. And then verse 15, do not walk as fools, 
Do not be unwise, but walk as wise, understanding the will of God. Verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now, I've walked you through this so that you can see the flow of the text because one of the things that comes up in our 21st century argumentation is, oh, Paul must be saying it's okay to drink as long as you don't get drunk, right? That was not even on Paul's radar. Paul was not thinking about 21st century evangelical Christianity when he wrote this. And I want you to understand the text so that we don't misapply. And understanding that that is not at all what is being said. And if we say that, we're really, it's what we refer to as eisegesis rather than exegesis. We read into the text what we want it to say rather than allowing the Bible to speak. And I say this because this is a major debate in our culture today. I have had two conversations recently, one of them very recently, of people whose lives have been devastated by alcohol. And to see that, and it's a major problem. And so what I want us to recognize is to apply this text to the modern debate, it really shows a cultural disconnect and a historical blindness. There is a debate and it's worth discussing, but today's alcoholic beverage selections are are not what they were looking at in Bible times. Paul couldn't just go to a drinking fountain and get pure water. He didn't have hundreds of options when he walked into a grocery store. You had tainted water that needed to be purified or very limited options. So think culturally. And then the reasons for why people would drink wine in the first century are not the same as today. But what we see is that Paul is telling, he's really using an illustration and not providing a justification. What we see, though, is you will reject the world's pattern of living loosely. That's the statement that he is saying here. You will not walk as the world does, but you will reject the pattern of loose living. A wise person will not go down the path of, the word is, dissipation. The the path is what shows the lack of concern, not the final destination. The idea of dissipation, it's really a word that means looseness. And the looseness is in the activity, not merely the end product of debauchery. And Christians are called to sobriety. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, 7, it says, those who get drunk are drunk at night. In Ephesians 5, verse 14, it says, wake, wake up, you who sleep. Christ will give you light. We're not to walk like the world. We're to walk differently in Christ. And understanding, but but why do people drink alcohol today? To relax? To have fun? To loosen up? Several years ago, when I was the president of International Baptist College and Seminary, our college accreditation conference was in Texas and Dallas at the airport there, and it, it went from Wednesday to Friday, and then I was scheduled to preach at a church in Texas on Sunday. And so I figured it's just easier for me to book the room. I'll stay Friday night at the same hotel. I don't have to go someplace else. And then Saturday, I'll drive to the church and spend the night there and then fly back out on Sunday after I preach. Well, that afternoon, I went down to the hotel lobby after the accreditation conference was ending and the people that were part of that were leaving. And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming it's a conference hotel. It's going to be pretty vacant. 
Boy, was I wrong. Apparently, there was a competition for girls from elementary age up to at least junior high, and it was some type of a dance competition. And it didn't take me long to realize the atmosphere in this hotel is going to change drastically as those in higher education go out and all these other little girls are coming in. And the lobby had been a great place to sit and just relax, to study. I could spread out. And I thought, this, I can get some work done here. And I realized, I am not going to get anything done here. Although I did like the, the huge candy machines they were bringing in. <laughs> but I thought, I, they're going to know I'm not part of that group. But you know what really caught my attention was right next to the check-in with their getting all of these girls and their moms coming in was there was this large table set up with wine bottles all over and a sign that said mommy juice. Why would they do that? To give these moms something to help them relax, to cope, to unwind? For many, many verses, Paul has been telling the people of Ephesus, do not go down the the path of living loosely. Walk with alertness. Be aware. The city of Ephesus not only worshipped the goddess Diana, Artemis, and we've talked about that, but the ancient historian Plutarch said they also worshipped Dionysus, or his other name is Bacchus, the god of wine the god of drinking, Bacchanala, the festival of honoring Bacchus, which was riotous, drunken festival. So this is what Paul is addressing. He's making a comparison that those who go down this road live in a certain way and it reflects it in their life. Those who are controlled by the Spirit are going to live differently. See, when a person goes down the road of, and they are controlled by alcohol, you can hear it in their conversation. They tell crude jokes. They say things that are sexually inappropriate. Verses 3 and 4 have already discussed that in this very chapter. Paul said, don't don't even mention those types of things. And when a person is under the influence of alcohol, what's coming out of their heart, what comes out of their mouth was in their heart. It's just that the filters are down. Many people do things, are taken advantage of in ways that would never happen if they had proper control of their mind, will, and emotions. The the number of sexual assaults, in fact, in talking with some of our chaplains, they said in the the military, in the JAG, they say that that pretty much every sexual assault has alcohol involved. And that if a person has had one drink, they cannot give consent. And yet we have Christians that argue it's okay. Is that the road of looseness or walking circumspectly? You know, I have never heard a drunk person being considered wise. Wow, they are just so smart. When they're under the influence, what comes out of their mouth? Just, I want to write it all down. No, they drop their defenses. They speak foolishly. They spend money foolishly. They behave licentiously. They don't redeem opportunities or seasons. And, and I'm spending time here because it really is a problem. I, I personally believe, my, my position, I believe that total abstinence is the path of wisdom. Amen. Amen. And if you don't have that first drink, you won't go down that road. Amen. 
but there are some valuable resources and you find a note in your bulletin and we've made two available. One is a book in our bookstore, the other is a free paper. Um, Dr. Mike Harding, who spoke for our men's retreat a number of years ago, has written a great paper. It's titled The Wrath of Grapes. I love the title. Uh, the word play that is there. Uh, there's, this is available on our information desk. Uh, there's a QR code in your bulletin. You can get that for free. Le- read it after church, please. Um, not during the service today. Uh, but that's available. That's very helpful. Um, for a more detailed study, uh, Dr. Randy Yagley has written a, a booklet. It's titled The Christians and Alcohol, a scriptural case for abstinence. He, will, he tracks every use of the Hebrew words and the Greek words uh, for wine in the Bible and and lays that all out with some very practical uh, information that I think would be helpful. And I I make these available because I want you to make wise decisions. I've told you my position, but you need to see what God would have you do. The choice that we make is, is it the path of wisdom. And I gave, you know, I gave you a list of passages last week that tell us what God's will is, but there are principles that we have to apply. Because as Christians, we have to act out of a motivation of love. Galatians 5.13 says, Do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So Christians are called to do that which edifies, and every believer influences somebody else. We have influence over the lives of others. You know, in a culture, and statistically, you know, one in seven people are problem drinkers. One in ten are alcoholics. And and Pastor Nathan had shared a statistic this morning uh, that he said came from the Budweiser website that three out of four children choose to drink based on their parents' example. I don't want to take that kind of a chance with my kids. You know, and understanding that this is, this is a problem in our culture. Christians should avoid anything that inherently has the, the ability to enslave. You know, most sins do not have a physiological or genetic component, but drunkenness does. And I still remember, I, I did not grow up in a home that had alcohol. I still remember the first time that I was exposed to a drunk person. We didn't watch programs like that. But one day I was outside and I saw my neighbor walking down the street staggering. And I still have that picture, not so much because of that, though it was the first time I'd ever seen a drunk person. But what stood out in my mind was I saw his own children, elementary age, laughing and mocking him. And I thought, what a horrible picture. And understanding the devastation, I still remember the look in a man's eyes in our church in Maine when he pulled me into a side room after church and he said, look, I I am willing to resign my membership from this church because I was pulled over for a DUI. He said, my name's going to be in the paper, I got stopped, I've had this problem in my life, and he said, I know I'm bringing reproach on the church, I am willing to resign. And I said, no, we're here to help you. You know, where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. But my heart went out to this man who has battled this for years and again to see this. This passage is contrasting what controls your life. The lifestyle of those who are drunk with wine or the life of those that is filled with the Spirit. Because the second thing that we see in this is you will desire the Spirit's influence in your life. In the same way a person can take alcohol into their body and be controlled by it, then you can be controlled by the Holy Spirit. 
And when you trust Christ as your personal Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 9 tells us that. If you, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Him. But what goes into your life is going to con- determine what comes out of your life. So if you're not being filled with the Word of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, then it's not going to be coming out of your life. Romans 8, 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16, For I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So are we going to be controlled by the Spirit or by the flesh? And understanding then that secondly, the control of the Spirit is displayed in your conduct. In the same way I saw that man staggering down our street, he was controlled by alcohol. He was not able to control himself properly. And understanding that the Spirit's control is going to be displayed in other aspects. And how important that is for us as Christians. The the first thing we see is that your speech will display the Spirit's control. In the same way a person under the influence of alcohol talks differently, tells jokes that are inappropriate, maybe even sings, a person who is controlled by the Spirit, it will be seen in their speech. You know, an intoxicated person may sing, but it's not to the Lord. Those aren't songs that are honoring the Lord. And often, the more intoxicated a person is, the more indecent their speech becomes. Because fleshly stimulation does not lead to spirituality. Well, a person who's filled with the Spirit talks differently than the world. It will show up in our conversation, in our normal everyday talk, and there will be an aspect of singing. That when we are filled with the Spirit, we desire to sing. That's, part of, that's why we have congregational singing. I think we sang last Sunday night, let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. I think it was C.S. Lewis who made the comment, there is no singing in hell, but there's much music in heaven. And so we're to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And understanding that, your attitude, not only will your speech display the Spirit's control, your attitude will display the Spirit's control. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord, and giving thanks to the Lord. We see that as well, that our attitude is here, that we're giving thanks. It's an attitude of gratitude that comes out. Isn't it interesting that when a person is under the influence of alcohol, they often complain? That, that bartenders are known to hear people's problems and gripes? That a drunk person doesn't usually sit at the bar and tell how wonderful things are at home? And that he can't wait to get home again? And talk about how great his boss is? And how much he loves his job? And how happy he is with life? No, that's not what comes out of their mouth. But that is what should be coming out of our mouth when we are controlled by the Spirit. Because it not only matters in our speech, but in our spirit, in our attitude. That being Spirit-controlled rules out grumbling, complaining, and a negative sorrow, sour, sour, I'll get it out, I can say that word, sour attitude. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 say, do all things without complaining, grumbling, or disputing. Why? That you may be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We're to be children of 
light. It doesn't take walking in the light to gripe about how things are. That happens all around us. A complaining person is not a spirit-filled person. But the third thing that we see is that your interpersonal relationships will display the Spirit's control. See, the evidence of the Spirit's control is seen in relationships of life. And that's what we find when it, when it speaks in verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, the idea of submission here is, is not from an authority, structure, chain of command so much as it is in a relationship to others. That we come with a humility, which actually takes us back to chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. But how many times did Jesus tell his disciples to serve others rather than throw their own weight around? The Gentiles want to rule, but you serve one another. And he set the example in the upper room, and we'll consider that this evening as we look at the Apostle Thomas. But as he set that example and told them as he washed their feet, now, now you show the same humility. See, the, Jesus taught them to serve others. To be filled with the Spirit does not mean that we find a way to get more of the Spirit. It's not like when my gas tank is getting low and I'm watching that needle and I say, you know what, I need to, I need to stop and fill up. Therefore, my spiritual tank's getting low and I need to find a, you know, the next Spirit-filling station. That's not what it speaks of. Because you have the Holy Spirit. You have all the Holy Spirit. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? It's what's controlling you. You know, if a person is controlled by anger, certain things happen. It may show up in the veins in their neck. It, it, may, it may be in other areas. Their, their face may get red. Their, their, their speech pattern changes. There's, a, there's an intensement. Maybe the, maybe the volume level increases. And, 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 and they may be clenching their, their fists, their, but there are patterns. When a person is controlled by anger, that's how this word is being used. The Spirit needs to control us. That we are walking in the Spirit. When you're saved, you are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Spirit baptism. It's not water baptism is a symbol of what's taking place, but it's the Holy Spirit that places us in that body. And what's interesting here is the verb is actually passive, being filled with the Spirit. It means we can't fill ourselves. So what does it mean? It means to constantly be controlled by the Spirit in our thinking, our emotions, and our will. How does that happen? We have to be in the Word. We have to get the directions from the Holy Spirit. This is the sword of the Spirit. And so as it says in Colossians, we're teaching and admonishing one another in Psalms, spiritual songs, speaking in our hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so understanding that. What's interesting is verses 18 through 21 are actually one long sentence in the Greek text. And what's going to follow then are the very specific applications. So rather than say, well, yes, I'm filled with the Spirit, maybe what we should do is look at our interactions with others, particularly those that are closest to us. And that's the third thing that we see in this passage then, that it's our interactions. Number one, your marriage will display Christ's love for the church. And I'm not going to expand on these this morning, but I want you to see the flow of the passage. That begins in verse 22 and goes through the end of chapter 5. Secondly, your home interactions will anticipate, anticipate Christ's blessing. The poet, songwriter, William Cooper, his name spelled Cowper, pronounced Cooper, said, 
quote, the only bliss of paradise that has survived the fall is the home. Unfortunately, as Warren Wiersbe said, too many homes are an outpost of hell instead of a parcel of paradise. But it ought to be a parcel of paradise if we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. So we start by looking at our home. And, and seeing, are we seizing the opportunities, the seasons, to share the steadfast love of the Lord with our children, to interact with our spouse in a way that, that reflects Christ's relationship with his church and to advance his glory? And then the third area is our workplace involvement will recognize Christ's oversight. And we find that in chapter 6. And we will look at these passages, but I want you to this morning to understand all of this is coming out of being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let the, let the Holy Spirit fill us. So we don't work just when the boss is around. Oh, if he's there, well, that, that's as an eye pleaser. No, we work knowing God is watching. And he's my supervisor. And those in supervisory positions don't abuse their position because God is their authority. And so they will give an answer. And all of this is coming out of what is it that controls us? What you take into your life is what's going to control you. Paul uses that illustration that, that we understand, and frankly, we understand it very well in our culture because of the many problems. And we could, we could take all morning and share testimonies. Probably every family here has been effect, affected in one way or another, either personally or with relatives, to the devastation of alcohol. Paul is not saying it's okay as long as it's in moderation. No, he's saying you're either going to be controlled by something like wine or by the Spirit. That's the illustration, and I've tried to show you that from the text. But the question we have to ask and and really understand is every day you and I will live with either a grieved or a pleased Holy Spirit. Therefore, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God with which you are sailed to the day of redemption. When a person is controlled by anger and it's evidenced in various ways, their speech, their spirit, their interactions, that's going to grieve the Holy Spirit. Sinful anger and corrupt words give place to the devil. They grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Is the Holy Spirit pleased with our lives today? Are you a thankful person? How is your humility? Are you characterized by a submissive, a gentle spirit that's willing to yield? That displays the wisdom that comes from above, according to James chapter 3. Wisdom from above is gentle. It's easily entreated. It's peaceable. How's your interaction with your spouse, your children, your parents, your employer or your employees? Students, how's your interaction with your teachers? Would they say you have a teachable spirit? That's part of submission. Being teachable. You know, this is, this is why it's gone from the general to the specific. We can all agree on the... But now it's getting down to where we all live. And secondly, I would say a spiritual person is an individual rightly related to the Spirit of God. So what is your relationship to the Holy Spirit this morning? Christians must walk in a way of wisdom. But we can only do that when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can't do this by our own strength. That as he internally controls us, because we are in the word, we are prayerful, we're confessing sin, then it will be evidenced in your attitude and actions. How you speak to others. A song in your heart. And your interactions in a spirit of humility. At home, 
with your spouse in the workplace? What's your relationship with the Holy Spirit today? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Is He controlling your life this morning? Let's pray together.